Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. At last, a controversial new motion picture that dares to deal with a serious contemporary problem which every man, woman, and child must come to grips with at least once in their lifetime. We make them like this anymore. Why don't you go ahead and sit inside? Go ahead. This new upholstery, only 27,000 miles, and we just gave the engine a complete overhaul yesterday. Go ahead, kick her over. Isn't that the quietest engine you've ever heard in your life? Used cars. Rolling off the blocks this summer into a theater near you. Hey, Stan, trust me, huh? <laughs> Happy motoring, Stan. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Hey, come on. Trust me. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Used Cars from 1980. Now, the studio was Columbia Pictures. The release date was July 11, 1980. The running time, 113 minutes. The rating, R. The budget was $8 million, and the box office was only $11.7 million, making it 56th movie ranked of 1980. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 77% fresh from 30 reviews. The critics' consensus is Robert Zemeckis' pitch-black satire of American culture doesn't always hit the mark, but it's got enough manic comedy energy to warrant a spin. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 2 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. When the movie isn't manipulating cars, it does have its good moments. It involves an ancient family feud between two brothers who own competing used car lots across the street from each other. The brothers, both played by Jack Warden, have been treated differently by fate. One is rich and successful, the other is on his last legs, like the cars on his lot. Warden does a good enough job in the dual role, but I always wonder why dual roles seem like a good idea in the first place. If you want two brothers, why not cast two brothers and accentuate their differences? Why cast one actor and settle for the for one tour de force instead of two undistracting performances? Anyway, the movie's plot thickens when it appears that the rich brother will run the poor brother out of business. The plot, in fact, does more than thicken. It congeals. There are so many different characters and storylines in the movie that it's hard to keep everything straight. And harder still to care. The great comedies almost always have very simple story structures, upon which complete gags can be elaborated. Remember, for example, Buster Keaton's The General, in which magnificent complexities were developed out of a story that essentially amounted to Keaton driving a locomotive from point A to point B and back again. Used Cars makes the fatal error of achieving the reverse effect. Simple gags are generated out of bafflingly complex situations. Meanwhile, back at the used car lot, Kurt Russell plays a used car salesman who has hopes to save the failing business in order to raise money for his political campaign. Garrett Graham has some funny moments as a superstitious, sex-mad salesman. Deborah Harmon is the long-lost daughter of the less successful brother. Her surprise reappearance gives him an heir just when he needs one the most. 
Used Cars was written, directed, and produced by the team of Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, two young filmmakers who seemed to be higher on kinetic energy than on structure and comedic instinct. Their first collaboration, which I really enjoyed, was I Want to Hold Your Hand, a fantasy about the Beatles' first concert in New York. Their next collaboration was this was the screenplay for Steven Spielberg's unsuccessful 1941. Next came Used Cars. The second and third projects in particular filled with too many ideas, relationships, and situations with plot overkill. And they seem to share the notion that if something is big enough and expensive enough, it will also be funny enough. And that's the end of the review. Here's one of the few times where I actually kind of disagree with Ebert's review. I absolutely love this movie, and while I do agree it's all over the place... To me, that's what makes it great. It's a modern-day screwball comedy with plenty of risque humor, kind of similar in vain to another comic, you know, another co- comedic classic released the same year, which was Airplane. The cast, the characters, to me, are perfect. The dialogue is witty and hilarious. This is the type of movie that newer comedies could only dream of. It can be vulgar without being repetitive and, and dumbing it down to the lowest common denominator, something that today's comedy just can't figure out. I saw this originally on video many, many years ago and loved it, but kind of sort of forgot about it until it was released on DVD in the early 2000s. Now, I just recently upgraded my old copy to Blu-ray from the always excellent Shout Factory, and they're just the gold standard when it comes to home movie re-releases. And if you enjoy this movie, definitely check out that version. Now, the main cast, we got Kurt Russell playing Rudy Russo. And at this point in his career, Russell had a huge breakout role playing Elvis Presley in the biopic TV movie called Elvis. Prior to that film, Russell was mainly known as a child actor on TV and many live-action Disney films like The Computer War Tennis Shoes and those sequels. You know, acting was just in his blood as his father, Bing Russell, was a well-known TV actor on shows like Bonanza and Gunsmoke in the 1960s. Kurt Russell had, had recently done the Elvis movie for John Carpenter, which made him kind of a, the, a grown-up actor from the Disney films uh, that he had did it as, a, as a kid. And Russell loved this script, Used Cars, from the beginning. So Jack Warden, as Ebert says, plays a dual role as brothers as Roy and Luke Fuchs. So Fuchs was just kind of a play on the word fucks. Warden is often considered one of the greatest act- character actors in Hollywood and has been in the business since the 1950s, acting on tons of TV shows along with movies. And a few of his most well-known roles to this point were The Twelve Angry Men, Bryant's Song, All the President's Men, Heaven Can Wait, The Champ, and Injustice for All with Al Pacino. A new generation of filmgoers probably remember him as Junior's grandfather in the Problem Child movies. Garrett Graham plays Jeff, and I always thought Graham kind of looked like Marty Feldman's brother. <laughs> Graham was best known as a TV actor, though he had appeared in the movie Phantom of the Paradise from 1974, and he would continue to be mostly a TV actor throughout the 80s and 90s, but did appear in movies like Child's Play 2 and Terror Vision. Frank McRae plays Jim the Mechanic, and McRae actually played professional football before getting into acting. He played one season with the Chicago Bears in 1967 as a defensive tackle. He mostly appeared in bit roles in the 1970s, though I do remember him as Rocky Balboa's boss in the meat packing plant in Rocky II. And he's also in the kids' movie, Batteries Not Included, from 1987. He's a terrific character actor, and you probably saw him in many movies and didn't even realize it in the 1980s and 90s. Deborah Harmon plays Barbara Fuchs, and Harmon was relatively new to acting at this point, appearing on TV shows in the late 70s, and then used cars would be her big break, though for the rest of her career she would basically be known best 
for her TV roles. The director was Robert Zemeckis, and this was uh, only Zemeckis' second movie that he directed, and though the movie now is kind of considered a cult classic, Zemeckis was seen as a bit of a failure after he used Cars, and he didn't get a chance to direct again until 1984's Romancing the Stone, which we covered, and if you know damn good movie memories, this is my parents' all-time favorite movie. Uh, So once Romancing the Stone was a huge hit, Zemeckis never looked back, because then he followed up with Back to the Future Trilogy and then Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And his friendship and frequent collaborator, uh, Steven Spielberg, probably didn't hurt his career either. The screenwriter, again, was Zemeckis and Bob Gale. And and Gale's big break came uh, writing the screenplay to Spielberg's comedy 1941, as Ebert had mentioned. But like Zemeckis, he didn't get really a chance to, to prolong his career until after used cars when he was offered Back to the Future. So some background about the making of this movie, Bob Gale was quoted as saying, it's it's a celebration of dishonesty. The, the used car salesmen are honest about their dishonesty. <laughs> so here's the origin of this film. Uh, so Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale were working together on the movie 1941. And so John Milius, who was one of the writers on 1941, had the original idea about two competing car lots in Las Vegas. The rub being that their car lots would do amazing business because the incoming folks to Vegas would sell their cars coming into town for cash, thinking they would make it big gambling in Vegas. Of course, the reality is that their cash would almost be gone, and then the car salesman would sell them back another car, likely a piece of crap, for next to nothing. They really kind of, he thought that George Hamilton would be the lead, you know, uh, person with the tagline, uh, would you buy a used car from this man? (laughs) George Hamilton. Zemeckis and Gale kept going over ideas of films, but they keep coming back to Milius' idea. And they knew that Steven Spielberg likely wouldn't direct this movie, so they asked Universal Studios if they could do it themselves, and Universal agreed. Steven and John would be executive producers. One idea for the film was to have every line of dialogue be a lie. It's a great concept, but it's really impossible to pull off. And it took a year to get the first draft. And Universal didn't like the first draft, but Columbia Pictures did, as one of the executives was a car salesman earlier in his life. And the Spielberg cachet helped enormously getting this project greenlit. Gale and Zemeckis interviewed real car salesmen as research, listening to just their crazy sales stories. And one of the best stories that Gales tells is about one salesman who told another salesman that he bet the next customer that walks into the place that he could pee on him and and ended up winning a bet on, on that. And the way he won was he got the customer to lean into the car and look at the engine, and all the while he had, the uh, car salesman had a, a coffee cup in his hand. So while the customer looked at the car unassuming, the salesman peed on his leg and then acted like he spilled coffee on him and won the bet. <laughs> These are the people you're buying cars from, folks. So some more great stories. So sales technique. So if you're a car salesman, they were saying, whatever ethnic group came in, you immediately change your name to match whatever the na- whatever the ethnicity of the customer was. So if it was Martinez or O'Brien or Washington Carver, it didn't matter. That's what you changed it to to get the, the, the customer potentially on your side. They would recondition cars, you know, the fake vinyl finishes. You would e- use heavy-grade motor oil to cover up the sounds of the engine. Um, the real, the, uh, the car emporium, which was the evil Jack Warden's uh, lot, was actually a real lot. Uh, but the other lot for the good guys, so to speak, 
Uh, that was built specifically for the movie. Gail and Zemeckis really wanted Robert Preston, but he was getting older and mostly a stage actor, but was flattered and uh, but still had to turn down the role. Columbia really wanted a recognizable name for the Roy Fuchs role, and originally it was going to be two different actors playing the Fuchs brothers, and then Kevin Conway dropped out. Bob Gale was quoted as saying, actors want to play three types of roles. They want to play drunk, play dead, or play two roles in the same film. And Jack Warden got two out of three. <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. He's one of the best character actors around. Another great story. Garrett Graham, who plays Jeff, had a style of acting where he would talk very slow and deliberate. The theory being, the slower you say your lines, the more screen time you get. Warden finally had enough of this shit and told him that he was fucking up. He told Graham that to talk as fast as you can, because the faster you talk, it's harder to have your lines cut from the film. Only a veteran actor would know something like this. Plus, the faster you talk, the pace of the movie is better. Frank Capra would always say, talk fast, the same as Jack Warner. It's like the gangster of screwball comedies. Warner liked it because it would save film. Faster is funnier. So Used Cars was Jack Warden's first rated R movie. He was never able to go crazy with profanity before, so most of the profanity came from ad-libs from Jack Warden. Finally, the studio sent a note for Warden to kind of tone it down on the swearing, but it was so good. So Warden changed the tone of his voice and had a mustache for Luke compared to Roy, with the good brother who didn't have a mustache. Bob Gale tells a story about the studio where a few days before they were to uh, start shooting, the studio requested the budget be cut by a million. Gale agreed, knowing that he would go over budget anyway. He also knew that the studio had their own tricks when movies would go over budget, like delaying a percentage of the gross profits, if there were any, to the parties involved. As Gale said, everyone is a car salesman at the end of the day. <laughs> so they did a sneak preview in Dallas, which went terrific. The studio was super excited based on this preview. So the, the studio decided to bump up the release date, but couldn't get all the theaters in the entire country. So the movie was released to half the theaters in July and the other half in August, which just killed the momentum of the film. And also, uh, a, a solid ad campaign wasn't even figured out because they rushed the film out too quickly. At the same time, as I mentioned, Airplane opened a week prior in July, which, if you know <laughs> me and, and you know the history of comedies, it's one of the funniest movies ever. And, and everyone wanted to see Airplane at this point who wanted to see comedies, so they kind of brushed off used cars. because it's a, And that's a shame because used cars is hilarious and fabulous on its own. But back then, you know, if you had to choose, you usually wouldn't go to every single movie. If you had to pick, you're going to go with Airplane. And since the July opening of used cars didn't set the world on fire, theaters in August didn't always follow through on their opening agreement where they said they would show used cars. One cool thing is this is before the internet, before Entertainment Tonight, all that. They had some real wacky ideas to promote the film. Like they had uh, oil cans, but it was actually a grow your own lemon kit with uh, dirt and seeds inside because a lemon being a crappy car and was sent to newspapers. They had uh, used cars part of the month club. <laughs> they would send out used dipsticks to reporters saying they were part of the used car uh, part of the month club and then promote the film for the next 250 months you would get a new part to put your car together <laughs> it's a really good idea they had a model kit which was impossible to assemble uh, girl not included neither is it neither is her phone number <laughs> a complete with a manual on how to sell your model car once you built it uh, instructions look like an article from mad magazine uh, you can sniff the glue provided <laughs> They had calendars promoting the movie. Uh, I'd say cable TV really helped 
this film actually gain you know a cult audience, which which is a common theme for a lot of these films, especially rated R movies uh, back in the day. All right, let's just get right into the film. If you have an old school idea of how it is to be a used car salesman, this movie definitely will not change your idea of used car salesman. The beginning of the movie shows Kurt Russell adjusting the mileage gauge from 98,000 miles down to 31. And then from there, we're off and running, no pun intended, for this hilarious comedy about dueling car lots. So after Kurt Russell adjusts the mileage, the rear bumper falls off. So Russell fixes the car by using bubblegum as glue to keep the bumper intact. He then puts a like new sign over the vehicle uh, that has a cracked window. He fills the very flat tire with a quick can of flat fixer. He sprays new car smell into the vehicle as well. Immediately, you see Roy Fuchs, that's bad Jack Warden, and his pristine car lot across the street, which is called the Auto Emporium. So Russell and and, and uh, the bad Jack Warden kind of make pleasantries, though you can definitely tell they hate each other. Alfonso Arau, who plays Manuel, and I best knew him as Juan the Bellmaker from Romance in the Stone, he arrives at Russell's used car lot with three cars, which have obviously been painted blue over a yellow cab. Russell, who is not impressed, tells Manuel this, and Manuel replies, well, it never rains here, so it's fine. Jack Warden also plays Luke Fuchs, the twin brother of Roy. Luke owns the lot that Russell works for, and he is the good Jack Warden. So you immediately get a sense of what a madcap movie this is going to be when Russell literally baits a customer from the auto emporium by attaching a $10 bill on a fishing line and reeling a prospective customer to his lot. The customer evades oncoming traffic trying to pick up the bill, and it only gets crazier from here. Kurt Russell is your typical shady used car salesman. He's overly friendly and willing to say anything so the customer does not leave the lot without a car. Later, Manuel. I think I got a customer, but take those around back, will you? I think it's something. Raul, vételos! Hey, Rudy! Shh! Quiet, quiet! Jesus, you're not gonna... Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna bait this guy. Yeah, well, Luke's not gonna like that. Well, Luke's asleep! Who's the great? Right there, see him? He pulled up in that red Chevelle, but the asshole's trying to put him in a Vega. He can afford a Vega. I'm gonna sell him my Buick. Yeah, yeah, but Rudy, forget it. He pulled up in a red car. Forget Come on, it. Jeff, you got your foot. Sure, I got my foot, man, but I told you a million times a rabbit's foot is no protection against a red car. Red car is bad luck and trouble. Look, Jeff, I gotta get some customers on this lot, man. Yeah, I gotta yeah. move some of this iron. I gotta yeah, make some it... fast cash. I mean it. Yeah, for what? This. Christ, first the red car, now this. This man, Roy L. Fuchs, this man doesn't lie. This man gives you a special guarantee, warranty. I mean, beautiful. It's up to you, it's your decision. One who hesitates is lost. Hey, where you going, pal? Come on back here! How you doing? Say, this your $10? You know, I saw it floating underneath the car. I picked it up. <laughs> Here you are, Mr. Uh, what's your name? Stanley Dualski. Polish, eh? What a coincidence. Rudy Polanski, how are you? Hey, I like that watch, Stan. Great shoes. Love them. Thanks. So, Stan, you, uh, you want to buy this Buick Centurion, huh? Good choice. Smart man. You got good taste. I'll tell you something. A lot of people have these days. Nice to see somebody finally walk on this lot who knows a good car when he sees one, I'll tell you. So, we, uh, we read it up? Yeah, well, actually, I was, I was just looking. Oh, hey, terrific. 
Terrific. That's what we're here for. Stand here. You can look, browse, peek, touch, feel, taste, smell, do anything you want, take all the time you want. Nobody's going to pressure anybody around here, Stan. You know something, though, Stan? I really think you ought to buy this Buick. Mm -hmm. I think you ought to buy it today, right now. You want to know why? Because this Buick is you. The color is you. Look at it. We come to find out that Roy Fuchs, bad Jack Warden, has been trying to bribe the, the local officials to make sure that the new freeway doesn't run through his lot, but he wants it to run through his brother's lot thus making him the only used car lot around. To make, as, as Ebert said, this movie's all over the place. Russell's also trying to run for state senate, and Luke, uh, that's good Jack Warden, is like a father figure and a mentor to Kurt Russell. So $60,000 would buy him the nomination, so Russell is trying to earn as much money as quickly as possible. Luke has a super cute beagle named Toby that grabs whatever tools he asks for. Toby even watches TV. Toby the dog, in real life, was named Peanuts. Sadly, Luke in the movie was not in good is not in good health and he has a bad heart, which is kind of foreshadowing things to come. Luke tells Russell that to make sure that he never lets his brother Roy get a hold of his lot. Luke hasn't spoken to his long lost daughter in over ten years, and he thinks he joined she joined a commune or something. So Roy comes up with a plan to get a stunt driver to act like he wants to buy a car on Luke's lot and goes on a test drive with with Luke and he just drives like a maniac and uh, of course that's detrimental to Luke's bad heart, and of course, Luke ends up having a heart attack and dying. Though, it turns out to be a hilarious scene as Russell was in the middle of making a deal, and, and the customer that he was dealing with kept haggling him to lower the price by $50, so Russell says he'll take it to his boss, Luke, but it'll probably give him a stroke. <laughs> then all of a sudden, Luke comes in, foaming at the mouth, and freaks out the customer who say, forget the 50 bucks, I'll sign! <laughs> Knowing that Roy is probably behind Luke's death, Russell and his buddies, Jeff and Jim, decide to take make up a story that Luke was going on an extended vacation in Florida to relax instead of, you know, being dead. <laughs> in the meantime, they put Luke in one of the cars and then bury him at the lot. So if Luke is still considered alive, Roy can't get the dealership. So again, Jack Warden's definitely the star of this movie. He's so great in the double role, and he steals the show in every scene he's in. The best scenes, and there are tons of memorable, memorable scenes in the movie, involved the hijacked TV commercials that Russell's gang decided to shoot at night. So they hire a cameraman, David Lander, who of course was Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley, uh, to shoot the commercials, and then they hack into the TV feed of the station playing the big football game of the night. You gotta remember, this is pre-cable, folks. Garrett Graham, so Jeff, is the main pitchman in these commercials, and he's absolutely hilarious. It's like those old Crazy Eddie type of commercials you used to see him back in the day. So they interrupt the game by hijacking the feed, and you see Jeff wearing one of those old like Google Eye glasses, you know, those gag glasses, and he's got a blonde model with him who is uh, Cheryl Rickson, who was a penthouse pet at the time. She's wearing a skimpy dress next to him. He ends up cursing the whole time during the shoot, which is live. The model's dress gets caught on the hood of the ornament, you know, the hood ornament of the car, and of course the dress gets torn off, and she's topless on live TV. When then, which then cuts to different households watching this mayhem. So originally, they wanted the Google glasses uh, to be like Mr. Dicknose glasses that they found at an adult store. And you can actually see these in the outtakes. And uh, there was a line where, well, we'll come off looking like a bunch of pricks. <laughs> and the studio made it made them change that. So speaking of Cheryl Rickson, fans of Judas Priest may remember a famous photo shoot with Rob Halford and Cheryl Rickson. That was the penthouse model back in the day when they were still trying to <laughs> show the illusion that Rob Halford 
uh, wasn't gay, so they were putting him with a, a penthouse pet. The debacle does wonders for business as the next day, tons of people show up to Russell's lot and you get to see every shady tactic possible on this day. They even get Toby the Beagle to play dead when the family believes that they ran over him in, tor- in order to guilt them into buying a car. <laughs> they sedate, actually in real life, they sedated the dog so that his tongue is hanging out and it might sound morbid, but the scene is just priceless and nothing happened to the dog. There is a story that Zemeckis and Gail told about one of the kids in that family that was uh, hypoglycemic. So they kept feeding him chocolate bars. So the kid is like just out of his mind, jumping on the hood, of, you know, the the roof of the car and running around a lot during the scene. But so be on the lookout for this kid when you're watching the scene. So the family drives away in the station wagon that they bought, and and they hit this puddle of mud, and then the two kids in the back seat are ejected into the back of the mud. It's it's hilarious. I don't think they could get away with it nowadays, but I think the way they got around it is the kids are wearing like football uniforms with padding and everything because you know you're assuming maybe they're coming from a game or going to a game but yeah they just let the kids fall right out of the car that would never happen today page advertising and it's free believe it this is it guys it's time look i don't know rudy i never sold no damn cars before it's easy jim all you got to do is get them in that car nothing sells a car better than the car itself now remember this you got to get their friendship get their confidence get their trust then get their money Ready, Jeff? Yeah. Jim? Toby? Ready? Oh! Okay, guys. Let's go. Morning! Hi there, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Mr. O'Brien, how are you? I've got the 74 Ford over here. It's got a little bit of a back here. Hi there, Mr. and Mrs. Lopez, senor. Hey, Rudy Garcia, man. Listen, 68 Chevy, man. Take a look at it. Be right back. Hi there, Mr. and Mrs. Saxon. Hey, Rudy, why snake cover? What it is, bro? And you checking out this Cadillac already? Oh, now look at that, Mrs. Inglehart. The interior matches the color of your eyes. I just noticed something else. Mrs. Lopez, do you realize that your hair matches the color of these tires? Huh? You get the door for right. you. I don't know. Oh, no. That's all right. I'm just looking. Oh, yeah, but I want you to look inside. It's no. real nice in here. No, no, I don't want to get inside. It's, it's nice and comfy. Yeah. It's roomy. No, you got a lot of leg room. I've been looking around a lot a little bit. These aren't the cars I bought. But Mr. Gertner, these are the only kind of cars that your students will be able to afford to buy once they get their licenses. Therefore, they should be learning to drive in these cars. Am I right? But the school board... Well, thank you, and that's all they'll do. Now, Mr. Gertner, you see, I'm the kind of guy that believes that a man with your insight, such vision, should be fairly compensated for uh, such high thinking. Don't you agree? You have a car in mind for me. Yeah, no, but, but I want you to look inside. No, I don't want to look inside. Oh, just get in the motherfucking car. Get in here. 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 Well, you understand what I mean, then, when I say that not only do I think that this is the car for you, but Toby thinks this is the car for you, don't you, Toby? Huh? Oh, oh there he is, Sid. He's cute. Isn't that cute? So, Al, I, I think the least we can do is take the car for a test drive, huh? Toby wants to go for a test drive, don't you, Toby? Oh, Toby. 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 Oh, To
Next, you get the back and forth sales tactics, tactics between the dueling dealerships. Uh, Russell hires strippers and plays disco music to entice customers. Say that on TV. I can say any goddamn thing I want. 
This is competition, the American way. It's slander. They can sue you. They can't sue me. Only the owner can sue me, and he has to be alive. Now get the hell out of here. All right, let's take it to the top, Russell then comes up with a scheme to interrupt the president, uh, the president's address, which at the time was Jimmy Carter, uh, to to uh, show commercials on all three major networks. So then they get Michael McKeon, who makes a cameo, and now you have a full-on Lenny and Squiggy reunion, and he helps out with the TV station hijacking. Jesus, guys, I don't know. Jesus. For one thing, Rudy, I gotta tell you, my horoscope says trouble brewing on the horizon. And for another thing, pal, I mean, for Christ's sake, we're fucking with the President of the United States. Oh, he fucks with us, doesn't he? Hey, come on, Jeff. You've seen how shitty business is today. Thanks to Fuchs, our name is Mud. Hey, look, we had nuns protesting outside when I got here this morning. Nuns? Yeah. I had to have Jim turn a fire hose up. And I knocked them motherfuckers right on their ass, too. I am still five grand short. We've got to reestablish our credibility with the public. We've got to fight fire with fire. Yo, guys, we're fighting fire with enhanced radiation weaponry. Careful that ear over there. Okay, you two guys are sure you can pull this off now, right? Are we sure we can pull this off? If I can build and install a pacemaker in this man's chest, well, I damn well can bounce a microwave off a satellite. Jesus. Jesus, look at this thing, huh? Look at this here. Only $12.95 list. No kidding. Don't you guys have some equipment to hook up or something? Oh, shit. I gotta get some rosin core solder. Radio Shack closes in a half an hour. Let's get on it. Hey, how do you change the batteries now? Rechargeable. Finally, when you think it can't get any crazier, we then get introduced to Luke's daughter, Barbara. She kind of reminds me, uh, the actress does, kind of reminds me of Dee Wallace. And uh, the guys actually think she's from the uh, Consumer Protection Agency, but actually she just wants to see her father since Luke uh, called, uh, she called Luke before he he died. They decide that they need to get rid of her because they think that she wants to take over the lot. So Russell whines and dines her, but of course he ends up liking her. Then we get to the the actual hijacking of President Carter's address. It's just hilarious. Okay, okay, Freddie. Okay, uh, okay, okay, Freddie. Freddie, we gotta go. Jim's ready. Jim's ready. Yes. Now, when the president Freddy. isn't ready, he's a bit more important than Jim. Yeah, but we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. What's the matter with you? Why are you so nervous? I'm not nervous? What are you kidding me? I'm so full of belly and my rattle when I walk. Hi. Uh, could I offer you a sleeping pill? Mr. Won't you have a little respect? This happens to be the president of the United respect States. Respect my ass, food giant. I'm paying 20 bucks for this meal. You know, well, how'd you like that TV stuck up your ass? Hey, fellas, it's not worth all this trouble. Uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, I'm gonna get some air. Are you all? I can't. What? It's fresh air. Half percent. And during the three years before my inauguration. Oh, my God. Judy, are you all right? Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, fine. Ah, uh, just, uh, it's progress. It's really. 
Inflation is obviously a serious problem. I do not have all the answers. What is the solution? You want the solution to inflation? Hi, friends. Marshall Lucky here for New Deal Used Cars, where we're battling inflation not only by fighting high prices, not only by murdering high prices, but by blowing the living shit out of high prices. Yes, sir, you heard me right. Now, here's an example. 1973 Cadillac Coupe de Ville for $62.99. That price is too high. Some Lincoln Continental Mark IV, 1973. It's loaded. It's got air conditioning. It's got a stereo. It's got white wall radio tires. It's got power steering, power brakes, power seats, power windows, and a price that is just too high. Yes, sir. Now remember, friends. Look out, Marshal Lucky. It's high prices. Take this. You dirty old high prices! You got me, Marsha! Jesus Christ! Yes, sir. So remember, friends, that's New Deal used cars. Now wait just a goddamn minute. What the hell is this? Is this a 1977 Mercedes 450 SL for $24,000? That's too fucking high! By the way, those scenes that uh, the Marshal Lucky is blowing the shit out of, that was Roy's lot. This leads to a, terror, a terrific fight scene between Jeff and Roy. Roy, of course, wants to know where Luke's body is because he knows he's really dead, and if he's dead, he gets the lot. He also doesn't realize that Barbara is back in town. So the gang gets the idea to dig up the car with Luke's body and drive him through traffic and then crash into uh, the auto emporium. So it makes it look like he died in a car crash. <laughs> this means that Barbara, being the sole heir, takes over the lot. She does her best to keep the business going, but she's way in over her head. And she fired all the guys after finding out that they were, that they were trying to screw her. The rest of the movie is Roy trying to sabotage Barbara to force her out of the business. And, and whether he's claiming that uh, she was uh, making false advertising on her part. And they doctored uh, part of her commercial to say a mile of cars, which of course isn't true. Uh, so the plan is to get as many cars on her lot to avoid being shut down for false advertising. So they have to go to court for false for the false advertising claim. And you get an amazing cameo from uh, the judge who is played by Grandpa Al Lewis from the Munsters. He's even chewing tobacco while he's on the stand or whatever they call the judge's chamber. No, it's the judge's stand. I got it. 
Sure. The final scenes are a race to the finish to get at least a mile worth of cars in the barber's lot before the judge gets to inspect. It's lots of fun. It's almost like Cannonball Run. It's like a cattle drive of uh, cars, you know, in, a, in an old Western. Some great cameos in this movie. You get Mark McClure, who was one of the student drivers. You'll remember McClure as Jimmy Olsen in the original Superman. You get Dick Miller, who is uh, the epitome of a character actor who's in tons of movies. Uh, Wendy Jo Sperber, who was on Boots and Buddies and Back to the Future. And Back to the Future, she plays Michael J. Fox's sister. The final song uh, that's in the credit is called Use Cars, and it was filmed in Mesa, Arizona. All right, there's lots of fun facts. For the for the cattle drive of cars, they put an ad at a local college saying if anyone wanted to be in a movie, bring your car, and the car had to be at least uh, 8 to 10 years old, and they could be in that scene. Uh, so they filmed it in Avalon, Arizona, where there was an abandoned airstrip, and people were happy just to bust up their cars to be in the movie. So actually, John Candy was initially cast in the Joe Flaherty role as the corrupt assistant d- uh, district attorney, but his agent double-booked him, and they lost John Candy. Later, Candy said uh, he didn't think he would be able to keep a straight face in the court scene without Lewis if he was cast in the film. So in this in this scene where Roy Fuchs uh, walks up to Rudy Russo, and uh, Jeff, as they were finishing shoveling dirt uh, over the spot where they buried Luke, uh, Graham didn't have any lines and kept pestering Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale for lines. Finally, he just uh, decides to repeat whatever Russell said to Warden. And so <laughs> supposedly Warden was unaware of what Graham was doing. Uh, thus his line, what are you, a fucking parrot? <laughs> that was all ad lib because Warden was genuinely annoyed with Graham. And it worked so well in the scene that they included it in the final cut. In the scene where Garrett Graham... Uh, Garrett Graham's character starts shooting at Roy Fuchs's car in the commercial. Real ammunition was used to shoot the windshields and the headlights. Because these prices are too fucking high. Robert Zemeckis was walking across this, uh, the set when he spotted two bikers hanging out with two nuns. <laughs> he immediately summoned the camera crew and they shot the scene with the bikers walking up and taking hot dogs away from the nuns. And the nuns retaliated by grabbing their beer and slang it, slamming them down. <laughs> Normally, production assistants pour out the beers and, and replace it with water, but the nuns slammed down the actual Coors beer promptly and spit it out. The Columbia executives nixed the scene because one of them was a devout Catholic. No fun. Supposedly, the Toby the dog, or Peanuts, wasn't friendly. He was an amazing dog, but he wasn't friendly. Supposedly, the crew was high on cocaine most of the time. It was the late 70s, early 80s. And again, it's a scrappy movie. Totally worth your time if you haven't missed it. And the cool part is we get Sonny Pooney on to discuss his memories of the film. Does he still think it holds up? Well, we'll find out. I'll tell you one thing. This host thinks it holds up. And if you haven't checked it out and you're into movies like Airplane, definitely check it out. All right, until next week, this is Brian signing off. All right, we got a very special guest from the Growing Up Rock podcast. We got Sonny Pooney. He's also on many other things, but we know him from Growing Up Rock because he just guested on our Top 5 Soundtracks episode. So we're great to have him, but he's going to talk about used cars today. And uh, it's only fitting because Sonny's a salesman himself, right? (laughs) Yeah, not like this, though. No, no. (laughs) I'm not turning back miles on clothes. (laughs) I guess we wash them or resell them. How about that? Oh, perfect. It's, it's very similar. <laughs> it's, it's only uh, a year old instead of six months, you know? That's right. <laughs> All right. So used cars came out in 1980. Unfortunately, it also came out the same time as Airplane. So a lot of people decided 
I, am I, am I going to see a screwball comedy? I'm going with Airplane. And this movie kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, do you remember, when, when was the first time you actually saw used cars? Um, I saw it as a rental. Yeah, because I was... I got into movies probably uh, mid to late eighties because um, my mom always bought, you know, always rented these Bollywood movies because we're East Indian, so those are the only kind of really movies I saw unless it was on TV, right? Right. Uh, but then I became a Kurt Russell fan because actually my favorite movie ever has Kurt Russell in it, so I started doing kind of the rabbit hole thing backwards to see what else he was in, and I, I saw it at like a blockbuster or whatever. So and, yeah, rental. And what is your favorite Kurt Russell movie? Got to know that. To Kill a Sunrise. Ah, nice. It's my favorite movie, period. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That one, I haven't seen that one in years, but I, I remember my mom renting it and saying, you can't watch this one. And then <laughs> It's I didn't not hear. that bad. No, no, no. But again, again, I was ooh, probably eight at the time. So oh, yeah. interesting. That is good to know. So, okay. Talking about the cast, it, you, I know you love Kurt Russell, but there are many other great actors in this, one being Jack Warden. How, how did you like Jack Warden doing Double Duty? I thought that was interesting because I'm not sure how many older movies, and I'll say, let's say 80s and older, that I've seen where folks were playing double parts. I'm not sure how many of those I've seen. Well, did you ever see the original Parent Trap? No, I did not. Yeah, so that was, <laughs> I was young enough to think that, oh, those are maybe different people <laughs> new. Oh. Yeah, so that was that was fun because I think, you know, they, as I was doing research for this movie, um, and as you're listening to this, of course, I have my part, and then we're, we're talking to Sonny now, but most actors love doing, they love playing a drunk, and they love doing dual roles. And like, this is like an actor's dream because you really get to stretch out. And it was kind of fun playing the, the good Jack Warden and the bad Jack Warden, you know? Yeah, it's... Uh... And it came out well. I mean, he did really well in both of them because they are uh, significantly different characters, which he did a great job doing. Right. So when you first saw this, did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah. And it was probably mid-90s. And I remember saying, okay, it's kind of a spoof. And just the way it begins, it kind of hooks you in right away because you're like, what exactly is he doing down there? And then you see the, you know, the miles turn back. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is headed for a pretty sleazy used car salesman type movie. And I was really into the big actors of the time. And Kurt Russell, you know, was huge in the 90s, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was it was very tough for me to find a movie that a Denzel Washington or Eddie Murphy or one of those guys are doing that I didn't like. So right. I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. And also, as we found out from Top 5 Soundtracks, you're a big TV guy. So you must have liked seeing the reunion of Lenny and Squiggy in this. Yeah, that's and exactly. You know, I still don't know their names. I, I still call him Lenny and Squiggy because I'm like, hey, there's Lenny and Squiggy. <laughs> well, definitely, if you're a rock guy, you got to know Michael McKean because of Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but the other guy, everyone forgets, but that's uh, David Lander. So. Oh, okay. That's what his name is? All right. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so you just rewatched this, and it was, it was funny because you sent me a text. I'm like, oh, this is surprising, so this will be a good debate. So how does this movie hold up for you now? This movie does not hold up. <laughs> that's that's the text I sent you. I'm like, I'm watching this thing going, why did I like this movie? Like, it's still fun. Don't get me wrong. It's still sure. fun. The story's interesting. It's probably different than most stories you see. Uh, but yeah, the movie, and maybe because it's 1980, it doesn't hold up. It seems like the 90s movies hold up a little bit better than some of the 80s movies. But this kind of seems like it was a B film out of the gate anyway. So it would have had a hard time holding up. 
Yeah, yeah, and I get that. But I, I think on my perspective, I love it because it is a different time. I think a lot of the jokes that they did then, they could get what, get away with now. I think we're too self-conscious as a, a movie-making culture, and uh, they I don't think they would go for it as they did back then. Um, you know, something like the bikini model on live television, and then, you know, she becomes topless. I think uh, I, they would probably cut that out now, or they would have changed it where it's the guy being naked or something like that um i think that's just a screwball comedy of the 80s but yeah i think i enjoy <laughs> i enjoy crazy comedies like that my all-time favorite movie is airplane and so it's kind of ironic that they did come out uh, around the same time but just you know at before streaming and home movies and everything like you had to go to the theater to see something or you weren't going to see it and if people were going to pick uh, they were going to definitely go with Airplane because Airplane was getting all the buzz at the time. Yeah, but there's, you know, there's some things in this movie I like, like, the you know, the safe in the fridge, I think is cool. The car to car jumps that Kurt Russell does near the end of the movie, I think is really cool. Um, that whole um, when Jack Warden's going to throw the chair, but it hits the top of the roof and then he falls backwards. I'm like, oh, my God, I would probably end up doing that. Right. Um, <laughs> I remember when the judge came out, I'm like, oh, I think that's the judge I had the last time I had a speeding ticket. You know, <laughs> well, so there was, there was, you know, those that judge is. you know, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the uh, Al Lewis from the Munsters, so, which is a great cameo. Yeah. And then the kid in the car who's reading the student manual. Yes. As they're basically breaking every law. I'm like, oh, my God, that's my son. That's exactly <laughs> what he's been doing. <laughs> you know, so there's connections that get made in every movie, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because to see uh, that's the first time I think someone had like kind of shown they had shown someone hacking into like a, a satellite feed. I mean, today you hear hacking, you think Internet and you think stuff like that. But back then, you they literally would cross the wires to break into that television feed because really cable didn't exist back then. It was all the, you know, the four major networks or the three major networks. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of interesting that uh, that whole storyline about false advertising that. I don't know anything about false advertising. Everything I saw and see on TV is false advertising. Yeah, so, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1980, I guess it was a big problem. Well, yeah, I think the you know the the origin of this story was just always about just crazy used car salesmen, and and they've always had a bad name. And this movie does nothing to uh, diminish that <laughs> that claim. You know, we think of used car salesmen; they're the bottom of the barrel, except for maybe shoe salesmen and Al Bundy and Married with Children, which is one of my favorite TV programs of all time. Mine too, as well. Yeah, so it's kind of it's too bad those little like. Those side jobs, those dead end jobs that they always like to, to talk about, those are gone now because everything's you know evolved and changed. So I think it's just a, a different era that was maybe more uh, it was a simpler time, as they like to say. Yeah, and I was making connections to movies, and then I did some math problems, too. It's like, why did you do all this while you're watching used cars? It just kind of happened. So that whole, when he does the jump in the red car yes. from uh, the the car thing or whatever that truck that was back then that's very gone in 60 seconds like that same jump basically happens oh yeah or the blues brothers or the blues brothers there you go and then i was doing the math i'm like okay wait a second 18 feet per car for 250 cars that's only 4,500 feet that would have got you to a mile anyway 
You need like 293 cars. Oh yeah, the the concept is absolutely ridiculous. I think that's that's the fun part. Like, there's no way you take this serious. I mean, it's just tons of gags. It's also pretty long for a comedy. It's almost two hours long. Yeah, and it didn't need to be. Yeah, I think they they could have definitely edited a few, a few things out. But yeah, I still enjoy it to this day. It Shout Factory, which if you're if you're a collector of movies and and Blu-ray, they do the best job of anyone out there. They're up there with Criterion, and uh, there's a great edition where they have all this uh special uh, commentary like kurt russell the director uh, and the director and the screenwriter talk about it so you get some more insight and probably a different appreciation of, of this film too um but yeah i think uh, if you're of the era i think you'll appreciate more than if you're a new viewer now but go in with an open mind i think everyone that's the fun part about you know debating about things and and, and you know it might hold up well for some and not for others and i, I think that's what uh, the fun part of, of watching movies is. Yeah, and I own it on DVD, and I, I remember when I pulled it out of the rack, it says, from the director of Forrest Gump, What Lies Beneath and Cast Away. I'm like, yeah. okay, you're really pushing it, buddy. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's so, false advertising. Well, what's funny <laughs> is, so this is really Zemeckis's first major film. He did a, a, a kind of a Beatles movie called I Want to Hold Your Hand. Uh, that was his first movie. But then after this, this kind of bombed. It's become a cult classic. Uh, but and to, he didn't direct another film till four years later, and that turned out to be a huge hit and my parents' all-time favorite movie, which was *Romancing the Stone*. And then from there, he did *Back to the Future* and and Forrest Gump and things like that. But yeah, it was it was <laughs> this could have been the end of his career if it wasn't for *Romancing the Stone* and Michael Douglas giving him a shot. Yeah, which is another huge actor that I loved back then. So um, no, it's I mean. It's a good movie. And like I said, I own it, so I watch it every once in a while. But it's definitely a good movie to check out. There's no reason not to check it out. Yeah, and it's also a turn off your brain type of movie. You know, it's a popcorn movie. You're not going to you're not going to lose sleep. Or, you know, you're not going to, uh, you know, have nightmares watching this one. That's true. Unless you're a used car salesman, then then <laughs> you might be in trouble. <laughs> Any other thoughts about this? No, great movie. And uh, definitely check it out. All of it shuffled, cut and deal. And all the smart players got a way to steal. If you're a believer, you'll find out fast. Like life and you pick up. Nothing's made to last. Use cars. Everybody's got one to trade. Use cars. Everybody's got one to sell. Use car buyer, take care. Buyer beware. Everybody got one to trade.
Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff, and yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Hey, this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass 
guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to. That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast. G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.